Are you struggling to find the right professional talent for your project? Are you working with a limited budget? We are so excited about our next sponsor, Casting Networks. I have personally used Casting Networks to release a number of projects for free to the industry's largest network of professional performers for my commercial work and for my very first short film, Strange Thing. Creators can manage submissions, schedule auditions, request and review self-tapes, and book top talent for their projects all in one place all for free. On Casting Networks, you can create an account and send your casting call to thousands of professional talent. So join Casting Networks, the industry's preferred casting platform where more than 1.2 million performers have scheduled over 14 million auditions. That's a lot of auditions. Visit www.castingnetworks.com slash movies to create an account for free today. Hey everybody, Alder Purcell here. The time has come. The iTunes link for the alternate is now live. You can now pre-order the movie on iTunes. Just search the alternate and it'll pop right up or you can go to the show notes and there's a link there uh, to pre-order the movie it's $9.99 and it will go a long way the success of the movie if you guys all pre-order it uh, right away so we've been working on this thing forever I've been talking about it on the show for seven years and now it's finally available for people to buy um, these pre-orders make a huge deal uh, for the success of the movie. The more pre-orders we get, uh, the more people are going to see it, and the more people outside of my network are going to see it. Uh, we'll get some promotion on iTunes, maybe even get on the front page. If we get enough pre-orders, um, we're looking for 200 to 400 pre-orders if we can get that many or more. I know a lot more people than that listen to the show, so if you guys all pre-order the movie, uh, we'll be well on our way to having a huge success here. So thank you all for checking out the movie and for supporting the movie over the years and um, thank you in advance for pre-ordering it on iTunes and without further delay here is the episode you know making movies is hard making movies is hard Welcome, this is the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Purcell, the founding host of the podcast, and I'm a sci-fi horror filmmaker. And my first feature film, The Alternate, will be coming out on September 6th, which I think is past this date by now. So it's out. <laughs> you should all have seen it. If you haven't, you should uh, buy it or rent it right now. Absolutely. Everybody buy or rent The Alternate. It's fantastic. I'm Liz Manischel. <laughs> I'm a writer, director, producer who has made two features, Speed of Life and Bread and Butter. I'm currently in development on 2,709 more. I'm a distribution consultant who used to manage Sundance's creative distribution initiative, and I do sales. This week, we have writer, director, producer Kristen Baker on the show from Telefilms to talk about creating her own streaming service, Telefilms, and how she's managed to maintain a sustainable life as a filmmaker. After that, we play yet another round of the game, and we talk about the best thing you could do when you're promoting your film, if we have time. <laughs> if we have time, we will talk about that. But first, Alric, how are you doing? I'm doing okay i'm coming off of uh my first time ever having covid and it was not pretty i was pretty much out for a whole week and yeah it was it was painful i, I don't know if anyone saw that movie spiderhead starring chris uh what's his name hemsworth did you see that one liz no no it's on netflix directed by the guy who directed top gun maverick anyways there's a whole thing it's all about like giving drugs to like change your mood and they're like testing these drugs on these people these prisoners and uh, there's one called dark and flux which like basically makes you want to kill yourself and uh, the whole time i was sick with covid i was like yeah i feel like i'm on dark and flux like, everything is terrible i hate my life 
Nothing is good. Everything is bad. Everything I do is bad. I just want this to end. This is terrible. It was like the worst feeling ever. And it's like super, super feverish, super like achy and like weird sleep, like, like basically sleeping an hour and then waking up, sleeping an hour and waking up and just having weird feverish dreams. It was, yeah, it was not fun, but it only really lasted so bad for me for like two days and then it got better. But then I had to take care of my daughter because my wife got sick. And so then it was like trying, still being sick and then trying to get better while taking care of a, of a 14 month old who was like really tough. But on the other side of that, things have been really good with the movie. I mean, this is going to be way in advance from when this comes out because, you know, we're doing these way in advance right now. You know, the alternate's got its trailer out, which is really cool. And the PR team has been sending it out to all these different trailer houses, but trailer channels on YouTube. And it's got picked up by a ton of them. And like... Last week it was it was really fun because it was like oh cool we got we got one that's got oh wow two thousand hits amazing oh another one picked it up oh in like you know five hours it's got six thousand hits oh my god and then the next one is like oh it's been up for an hour and it has seven thousand hits you're like what oh my god it was crazy so like as like I'm watching these numbers climb on this one trailer channel I'm feeling worse and worse and worse and I'm like oh god. <laughs> This is terrible. Like, why can I enjoy this? But yeah, I, at the time of this recording, I actually haven't checked it today. Let's see. What is it at? It is at... The single link has 143,000. That's amazing. <laughs> I know. And then, yeah. I think the other ones probably have around 11, 12, something like that. So yeah, over 150. Woo! Woohoo! <laughs> That's yeah, great. that's See? crazy, man. You must I know. not feel so Isn't bad anymore, right? You must feel pretty, I mean, pretty hyped about that. It's it's pretty awesome. I mean, I have to say, like, it's it's been pretty great to just see that many people watching the trailer. You know, I, I know that, you know, like getting a lot of trailer hits on an indie film with no stars is not easy. Yeah. And it doesn't always happen, you yeah. know, and a lot of our friends who've had movies on our show or just people who've been on the show, like their trailers don't give that many hits. So it's like, you know, I mean, I was like excited for a 5,000. It's like, yay, I got to the thousands. Yeah. This is yeah. huge. And then now it's like over a hundred. I'm like, holy shit. Okay. That's wow. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited about it. I went on the Just Shoot It podcast yesterday to talk about the movie and nice. they were like, so why does it matter more? Like that you've got these views when you've like been to all these film festivals and all these, all these awards. And I was like, well, it's kind of funny because it's like, you know, that that also feels really great and is amazing and, you know, surreal and all that stuff. But like, you know, it's like a such a smaller group of people deciding your fate when it comes to like a film festival. Hmm. It's like you got to convince like 10 to 20 board members that your movie is good right. versus like, you know, when you're doing it. The with court of like public opinion. Strange, yeah. Yeah. Who they don't know anything about you. You didn't submit your movie to them like per directly. It's just like they just popped up in their feed and they're like, am I going to click on this to watch it for a minute or two minutes or whatever? Yeah. And then for them to like it enough to, to leave a comment, you know, positive or negative, you know, is like, you know, it just, I feel like it's pretty amazing. I don't know. It, it feels pretty cool. And like most of the comments are positive. I mean, there are a couple of negative ones, you know, that's just the way it, it goes. You're going to get negative comments. Yeah. But yeah, as, uh, as my distributor says, he's like, well, let's just hope all those views translate to money because we <laughs> don't know if that's going to happen or not. 
But I, I got a bunch of interviews lined up through my publicist. Good. They say there's a really strong interest in reviews. So, Good. yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But yeah, how are you doing, Liz? These next two weeks are like the weeks, right? And then and then you're yeah. and then you're out. And then all the anticipation yeah, one, will be over, which is great. Yeah. From this recording, we have like eight. Eight or nine days or something until we release or something like that. So it's yeah. what we talk about later today in the show is going to be interesting to get your take on what I should be doing right now. If we have time. <laughs> if we have time. <laughs> because I'm like, it, it's already eight minutes in. So I, but I, I also want to get to our game question, which I'm curious about how you respond. Mm-hmm. What is up with but me? How are you doing? How are you doing? <laughs> My birthday was lovely. So we're recording this on August 27th. And so I, I think this is coming out a week or two later than normally comes out, right? So yeah. as of right now, birthday was amazing. It was probably my best birthday yet just because nothing went wrong. And what was also exciting <laughs> about my birthday is I got two like film-related birthday gifts on my birthday that were just coincidental timing. An actress who was attached to one of my projects who had kind of disappeared, like wasn't responding to any of our emails or text messages. And we really thought she was just ghosting us. She came back into the fold with like such enthusiasm that it has recharged the entire project and it really made everything better. And then also on my birthday, I got to hear the demo for the song that we're doing for our musical Proof of Concept short. And it's amazing. So I think like, you know, people are like, what do you want for your birthday? And it's like, those are the best gifts, right? Film development gifts are the best gifts to get. Amazing. Yeah. Other than that, Amy and I finished our draft of the horror film and we're in the last stages of revision before we submit it to a horror fellowship. And I'm really proud of it. And I'm thinking of changing the title from Friendship is Hell to Best Friends Forever because we got some, <laughs> we got some really good feedback. It's a really dark ending to the film, but I see it as a really beautiful, happy ending if you think about it. And I think the title will help reinforce that, actually. So that's why we're thinking of changing the title. That's fun. Yeah. So we're in a good creative place in terms of development and I don't have COVID. So things are good right now. (laughs) (laughs) But nothing, it's like kind of a lukewarm, tepid response. I mean, I feel like you're going through something really exciting. I'm not feeling that right now, but I am feeling contentment. I don't feel like that same indie film development frustration I felt for months. Like that seems to have disintegrated at the moment. So that's nice. That's awesome. Yeah. But what also is awesome is Patreon. Everybody listening, don't forget to support us on Patreon. www.patreon.com slash MMIH podcast. As a reminder, we like to celebrate you on the show if you give to the Patreon. We like to give you access to all the behind the scenes goodies like our staff meetings, some bonus episodes. And then we take a lot of episodes and put them behind this Patreon paywall where there are what like at least six episodes right now that just normal people don't get to listen to. But if you're a Patreon patron, you can. So don't forget to join us today on that front. And without any more further delay, here's our chat with Kristen Baker. We're here with Kristen Baker, writer, producer, and director. Welcome to the show, Kristen. Thank you. Super stoked to be here. First off, give us the elevator pitch for your film, Mary and Gay. 
Marion Gay is one of those classic, tropey, fantastic holiday rom-coms where big city girl who's a Broadway star in New York comes home to her small town and rekindles her love with her high school sweetheart with the help of their two meddling moms and the entire town. I'm just beaming because I, I love, I love Christmas rom-coms. How many days did you shoot? We shot 12 days. Holy shit. What was the rough budget? Gosh, the rough budget was probably, you know, it was SAG ultra low. So production budget was, you know, probably around 300. Nice. So that doesn't include post and all the other things that we have to do on top of that. How was the idea originated? How did how did you come up with the idea? Yeah, so we I actually did a, a holiday rom-com contest like years ago and three of the contest winners have actually all been made. So the first we did this one call out for lesbian and queer female holiday rom-coms. And Season of Love was the first one that we did. That was the first one that came in. And then Christmas at the Ranch was the second one that we picked. And then Mary and Gay was the third one. And uh, we paused in the middle to do one called I Hate New Year's just (laughs) for fun. Yeah. So that's... And so I did a pretty significant rewrite of the movie. So I'm very much taking writing... You know, I have taken writing credit on it because it was you know, really came in as a a great concept and the writers did a wonderful job writing it. And then, you know, my writing team and I just sort of went to town and and really used the the logline that I gave. But, you know, for various reasons, it was set in a different place and they were at a hardware store, but we changed it to a bar, like things that, you know, make it easier to shoot and then, you know, added and took away people and all the fun stuff that you do and making it a viable, you know, indie, indie production. And then how long do you spend working on the film from like, you know, kind of writing or figuring out what the, figuring out what the movie is going to be to being released? Yeah. Boy, that's such a good question, right? Like it's been... It's, it's been, it's been all four of them have been very different. Like I hate New Year's happened within a year. Season of love happened within a year. Christmas at the ranch and Mary and Gay sat for two to three years before we were actually able to go into production. And part of the reason is because we were shooting these other movies. And so they kind of had to sit until I could turn my focus and go, okay, now we need to start focusing on this one. We need to do rewrites. We need to do table reads. We need to start raising money and like figuring out all the nuances. So, you know, I, I think once I kind of turn my focus onto one, it usually takes just about a year. That's an amazing track record. Compared to all the other movies that you just mentioned, and also every other project you've ever done, how difficult was Marion Gay? I, uh, hmm. It was, pr- you know, it was probably easier than some of the other ones because I had made all the, I did all the dumb stuff and, and, and the things that you didn't think about on the, on the other ones, right? So, you know, I was able to go, oh, you know what? We don't have, there's two songs in this and I don't have a recording while I'm shooting. Not the best idea to, to record the song that they're singing afterwards. Like, which I've done before. And so I was able to kind of know 
what I needed to do with that one. And I think also like, honestly, as a director, I have gotten so much better. Like, I feel like I'm such a stronger director now than I was on, you know, obviously my early, early projects like 10 years ago, but even like the last four years, as I've been, you know, getting into features, I think I'm a much better director and and the toys that, that my DP has been able to use have gotten better and better. So I've used the same DP on three of the four holiday rom-coms. So I'm really curious about, this is a very specific question, but like you do all these holiday movies, but you also do like thrillers and like you have a movie called Scare B&B that's coming out. Like talk about switching gears from like a holiday Christmas movie to like a horror movie or a thriller. Yeah, it's, it is, I think it's easier than you think because the interesting thing about both holiday rom-coms and thrillers is you're creating tension, right? In a holiday rom-com, you're creating love tension because, right? Like they don't have that. It's like, oh, the almost kiss and then the pull away and oh, the glance from across the room. Well, there's similar things that you employ in thinking about that as when you're pretending you heard a noise in the closet and under the bed and you turn around and jump. So A, I think a lot of it is also in the editing, but B, I think you're really just creating tension, whether that's love tension or scare tension. And so they don't sit as far apart as some people think they do. You obviously you light them differently, but (laughs) but yeah, the tension's still there. I'm making a few presumptions with this question. I mean, I don't know if if these projects are are truly independent productions or if they're coming out of some sort of financing model with a larger studio or company. I I don't know what you're. You're so sweet to think I'm that fancy, Liz. (laughs) So so lovely. I guess I'm just curious about what is the model for making an independent holiday movie? Because the the default, I guess the presumption is that it's like a Hallmark or it's a or ABC Family or whatever these kind of whatever these like permanent companies are that are churning these out. So how do you put one together as an independent creator? Yeah, the the biggest I feel like there's two barriers to consistently being able to make indie projects that, like you said, aren't funded as part of a larger pipeline. It's content and funding. Now, one is easier to get than the second for the most part, or I should say consistent funding, right? Like, yeah. you know, I, I I remember when I think Savannah was talking in one of your earlier podcasts, she was like, I had one shot. I could ask people for money one time and like, that was it. And so that's what happens a lot of times and you have to wait for a long time before either you can get the investors again or someone sort of taps you. So what I was able to do is I had the pipeline with scripts and I was really, really, really fortunate that because there's not a lot of lesbian or LGBTQ holiday movies, yours tends to get lifted up in the press and in the media where tiny little projects that are my size should not be listed in the publications that I've been listed in. But because they're LGBTQ holiday rom-coms, there's always these major publications that do the list of like what's coming out this year. And I, I have an amazing publicist who's able to get me in those lists. So because of that, we get enough people to buy or rent our movie over the holiday season that I go back to my investors and I say, do you want to invest in my next project? 
I could give you, you know, 75% or 100% of your money back, but do you want to throw it into my next movie? Some of it or all of it. And, and then I'm just really lucky that I've had, you know, investors who are like, yep, just roll it into the next, roll it into the next. We're good. And they're individuals, like individual equity mm-hmm. investments. Mm-hmm. Yes. Individual equity investors. That's correct. Yes. And so I've just been really lucky. I mean, not everyone, but I would say about 80% of my investors have always rolled. So I've gotten new investors each time because someone sees what I'm doing and they really like it and they want to know how to support it. I also have needed to run a crowdfunding campaign each time as well to just sort of make up for, you know, some of the lack or like definitely for Christmas at the ranch, we had COVID expenses that weren't, we didn't realize. So I needed some help there. So I also do a crowdfunding campaign and that's been really helpful in, in garnering attention and support from, from the community and for, for finding investors. So many questions. So many questions. First one is like, where have these movies been distributed? Like, are you going to the same distributor every time? Are you selling them to very different people each time that you make one? Like, how has that looked? Yeah. So, all right, boy, I've gone, I've, I can talk about the distribution paths that I have gone through and all the different ones. And every time I think this is, this is the one. And then it's like, you know, it's only, it's only okay. So I'm really lucky that I have had a streaming platform since 2009. It's called Telefilms and it focuses on queer female content. And so I've been able to, if I didn't find distribution or didn't have someone, you know, buy it to release it on Tello. And we've always done like, I know the market. I know what I can usually get from putting it on Tello for rent or buy. And then the other interesting thing is for our community, because there's so few rom-coms, even regardless of holiday, we have a very long tail. I mean, I still sell Season of Love, which came out in 2019. Every single day, I sell a rent or buy for Season of Love. Now, it goes down in the summer, as all streaming platforms do. But then as soon as winter hits and fall hits, and especially holiday, it pops right back up. So it's really interesting that we don't have the drop off like like a movie like Elf might. Like it's just boom, you know, holiday comes, everyone watches Elf and then no one's thinking about it. But for our movies, they do tend to have a little bit longer of a tail. So we're making money throughout the year on them. But I've done the buckshot, you know, SVOD or uh, put it on everything, rent or buy, you know, on demand, iTunes, Amazon. And I have found that putting it on Tello first gets me a much bigger ROI than any of the other platforms because they take so much from you. They're, the percentage is incredible. And I'm not sort of big enough to get an, to get an MG. So that's how I've distributed it. I'm sorry, Liz, I have to jump in here. So Tello Films, you own, that's your own streaming service that you run and own completely. Can you just talk about what it takes to start a streaming service and like how you find people to actually like rent and buy things on your service? Yeah. Well, so we're, my story is probably a little different than if someone was going to start one now. Cause I started way back when like there was nothing. Like I had my, I have a work husband whose name is Vesper and he's amazing. Like we built it on a platform, you know, and we were trying to figure out how do you code it? There wasn't a plug and play like there is now. And, you know, we were having to use PayPal for reoccurring payments because no one else was doing reoccurring payments at the time. So we were really started from scratch. These days, you can call up any number of sites that will build you apps, that will build your, you know, your platform. We're on the Vimeo OTT app platform. So we have an app in all the app stores, except for Samsung TV, which is like really expensive and takes a long time. But yeah, so you can just sort of do that 
now. And, and it does cost a little bit more. Our, you know, when you're building it on your own and there's not as much cost, the content's the cost, not the tech. Now the tech is also the cost because you have to pay them, you know, a certain amount upfront to start, you know, building the apps. And then you need to have content, you know, because you have to feed the beast as Netflix knows and, and everyone else. So, but yeah, we, we have, I have been very slowly and steadily building name recognition. So a lot of it was press trying to get things that were, that were covered in sort of lesbian known publications or bloggers. So it was, it was doing that. And we started off because it was all we could afford doing short form content. So we would do little web series and I had a full-time gig. Tele was my part-time gig. So I did Tele part-time for like the first like 10 years of its existence and just, you know, working to, to do what we could and put stuff up. And then eventually we had three Emmy nominations, two daytime and one primetime and still couldn't get press, still couldn't get anyone to recognize our platform. And so that's when I was like, we have to make a feature. If I don't make a feature, no one's going to take me seriously. Short form isn't ever going to be taken seriously, which I could have told Katzenberg if he had just asked. And then he wouldn't have wasted billions of dollars. Yeah. So then in 2018, I really turned my focus to figuring out features. So uh, does that answer your question? Well, I'm going to provide a follow up and maybe we can even get more color, which is sure. or a follow up question. I'm seeing that you have to gather an audience of subscribers for your platform, but you also have to separately, you know, or maybe in tandem, market the individual titles. And I'd just be curious. I mean, I know it's not you doing everything, but can you talk about the different ways that you're growing an audience? Sure. So we use a lot of social media. So we have a Twitter presence, an Instagram presence, a Facebook presence. And again, one of the ways that we were able to do it when we had very, very, very little money was trying to get bloggers, publications to cover us so that they would say, oh, this thing that we're reviewing or talking about, you can find it on Telefilms. I remember I, I did try one time to like sponsor an LGBTQ film festival that didn't turn in any new subscribers. So I was like, OK, well, that's not really a thing for us to do. That's not going to get us subscribers. But the biggest thing is recently has been Facebook ads, Instagram ads, Google and Bing, which and so getting on those, if you can get the correct search related terms, that's super helpful as well. The only problem is both Google and Bing will flag lesbian or lesbian movies because they think it's porn. So we have to fight every single time with them to recognize the search term lesbian movies as we are not a porn site. So that's still what we have to do to this very day. We also, though, highlight on our social, we highlight any new content that we have. We'll go back and highlight older content, even that's not ours, to lift up the filmmakers and lift up the content that we have. So, you know, for us, it's very much about a social presence and doing online ads. So looking at your, you know, your IMDb, it's like you have your start in 2008 with Human Potential, you know, a short, and then you kind of just ramp up from there to like many, many, many projects. So the question is like between your work as a filmmaker and, you know, your work with Tallow Films, like at what point did this become your, your full-time job or has it become your full-time job at this point? Yes, it is now officially become my full-time job. And it only did that probably about two years ago. Wow. Otherwise I was like consulting or like working in some other like was mainly consulting. So I was either working full time or I had consulting gigs and then I was raising money and making movies. But yeah, I think it was about two, maybe three years, two or three years, right before, right 
right around, right after the pandemic. Well, it's not after the pandemic, but right, right <laughs> around like 2020, I think. Wow. I, I finally am able to do it full time. Amazing. I'm jumping ahead a little bit because you dropped um, a little bomb in the beginning of the conversation about having a script competition. So I would just love to hear. Yeah. So did Hello host a script competition? Did you as an individual producer host one? Tell us why you were hosting that and how do you crowdsource content in that way? Yeah. So like way back when, when I was making web series, I was really, my goal was to have one piece of new content every Sunday. Well, that is really hard to do. (laughs) And so I would, you know, we would drop a new episode of a web series, which was like four or five minutes long, you know, every Sunday. And I was finding, I was like, this is really hard. I need a break. I need to figure out a break. And, you know, one of the reasons, well, I should say, usually Q2, you always have a drop in subscribers. At least that's true for us. It's kind of been true for Netflix, at least in you can. Just because the summer happens, people's schedules change, they do different things, they want to be outside. So we've always seen a Q2 drop in subs. So I was like, why am I busting my hump? to have content when I'm going to lose subscribers, but I needed something to talk about. So I decided at the time to have a pitch to production contest where if someone had a web series idea, they could submit it and I would take a look at it. I would see like which one, you know, worked and they would get a distribution deal on Tello, which we do a rev share. So, and then I would come in and help produce it. So I would help produce if they wanted me to direct, I could direct and I, you know, wouldn't charge a fee or, you know, cause they had a tiny budget. So we would pick three. We would highlight those three. You're not funding these, right? They're, they're funding those in house, but you're coming in and offering distribution. Correct. The winner got a hundred dollars. So if you want it, you got a hundred bucks. And then if you wanted to continue, we offered a lot of things that would make it easier for you to make your project. Yeah. Amazing. So the pitch to production happened. So we did it with movies because we had done it like three times with web series. Yeah. yeah. Nice. So I wanted to ask about the crowdfunding because Liz and I have both done crowdfunding in the past and we've talked to lots of people who've done crowdfunding and usually with crowdfunding, there's like some sort of drop off where like the first one you can raise a certain amount of money. The next one you have to raise less, 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 less. But we're just, I'm just curious, like what's your experience been? Have, have you been like kind of getting the same amount across all the board? Like what's your... I've done, I've done this. Yeah, I've been at this. It looks like it looks like hills. And I'm like, I feel like I kind of figured out what's the secret sauce. And then then every time I think I figured it out, I'm like, nope, nope, not that. So I think I've done probably about maybe seven to 10 crowdfunding campaigns over the years. So the first one I did, I used Kickstarter. I did it for a web series called Cowgirl Up. This is going to test my memory, but I feel like we raised like 15 or 20K on that one. Then we did it for like a season for season two of Cowgirl Up and we might have raised like another 15. Then we did it for a project called Nikki and Nora. Now that had a really big fan base because it had two popular actresses and it was based on a pilot that was never picked up but got leaked onto YouTube that and it was like a lesbian project and the writer or creator of it, Nancy Lee Myatt, ended up getting the rights back to Nikki and Nora. So she was like, let's make a web series. And I think we raised like 65,000, which was like unbelievable for me at the time and, and still, and really still is. And then I did another, I did another one where I think I raised like 25K and then 
Season of Love raised like 60-something. Christmas at the Ranch also raised 60-something, which blew, absolutely blew my mind. Was not, I think my goal was like 17,000. And I ended up raising like 60-something. But then I Hate New Year's, which did happen during the pandemic, like only raised like 11. And then this most recent one, Marion Gay, I think raised like 20 to 25. And I thought like, oh, well, Christmas at the Ranch did, you know, 60. So I think my capacity now is like 50,000. Well, it's not. So you just don't know. But I I did po- I did post crowdfunding for Christmas at the Ranch and I had Lindsay Wagner and and Laura Allen and Amanda Gay. So I had the cast that I think people were excited about and I didn't have all the cast done for Marion Gay. So I'm wondering if that had something to do with it. I I really boy, if I could figure that out. I know what perks to do that don't break the bank and that aren't annoying, but I I I have no clue sometimes like how how one can raise 60 and then the next one like 25 and then the next one, you know, 60 again. So I was like formulating a question about how you juggle everything. And then I was like, that's just like an impossible question to answer. Obviously, like you're just this powerhouse. Don't have kids. Yeah. Don't I know it. <laughs> the, 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 don't have kids. Is, they're little distractions is what they are. Oh, but they're so cute. <laughs> but they take all their time. Mark. I have a nephew and two nieces in town visiting, going to summer camp. And I love them. And then they go away. <laughs> and I go make my movies. Yeah. Be the best. Be the best aunt, right? If you, you want to be a caretaker. I'm the yeah. best Best auntie ever. Yes. And I, I adore them. But it's like, you go leave me alone. If I have, if you ask for water one more time. <laughs> okay. Well, the question I'm going to ask in the stead, in, in that stead is 12 days for Marion Gay. 12 days. I mean, I made a feature in 12 days, but it was 100K budget. So that was like, we had to do 12 days because that was all the money would spread out to. Can you talk a little bit about, I mean, 300K is nothing to sniff at for for a 12-day shoot. That actually seems very meaningful. How did you, where did the money go and, and how did you put it together? Yeah. Well, so just to give context, I shot Season of Love in 14. I shot I Hate New Year's in 12. I shot Christmas at the Ranch in 12 or 14. I can't remember which. And then I shot Mary and Gay. So that's really, and those had all different kinds of budgets. So that's my, I don't know if this is my sweet spot. Cause if you talk to my DP and gaffer, they would say, no, we need more days. <laughs> but you know, I just, I know how many pages a day we can get. I'm really lucky cause I've worked with the same team over and over again. And yeah, I'm just really lucky that we can get a good number of pages in. And for us, that's stretching the budget, you know, as, as, as much as we can to at least, you know, pay people something that, you know, lets them eat and. Right. It's not a million dollars. Like I, I'm not implying, sorry. I felt like I was implying like you had so much money, right, right? but really like, it sounds like you're going beyond scale, even if it's a little bit, it sounds like there possibly may be a little bit more than scale, which sounds really nice and kind. That's all. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, honestly, a lot of it also goes into equipment. Like we shot Marion Gay on an Alexa with like anamorphic, beautiful anamorphic lenses. And so, you know, and that's because and we had like one of those like Ronin things that you can do the little thingy with and it like the joystick and it moves around. Like we just had we were really lucky. Again, my gaffer always wants more lights, but my DP really just brought out the goods for Marion Gay. And it was like really 
really phenomenal. So, but yeah, I think it's 12 because, you know, I'm not, I'm not paying a, a, a huge, you know, feature budget rate. And so I don't want to take people's too much of people's time. And I think if some, someone can give up, like I have people giving up, like, you know, you would put a zero at the end of their day rate and that's what they're giving up a shoot in LA for, to, to work on my little, you know, tiny project. So I just want to be super respectful of, of everyone's time. And so, you know, we don't lose performance, you know, we don't force limited takes, but we get done in a 12 hour day and just respect everyone's time. So you talked about your distribution and how like you've, you've kind of had all these experiences with different people, but that you, you have this continued success on your own streaming platform. So does that mean that like in the future, you're just going to go straight to your streaming platform and like just release all your movies on there because that's the way that you've seen the best returns or is there other plans to like go with other type of distributors yeah. in the future? Every time I make a decision that's like, screw everyone else. I'm going on my own platform. Then something happens and I'm like, hmm, you know, maybe I'll try that actually. So yeah, I feel like every time I like put my, put my stake in the ground in a, in a decision, but that's what I'm actually starting to lean more towards just because right now, and I know this cause I was at, I was at can of uh, this past can. And like, unless you had Tom Cruise in your movie or, you know, Jennifer Lawrence, like people just were not paying for movies, like very few sales from what I heard were happening. And, you know, the person who reps my movies was just like, I've never, this has never happened. Like this is a really light can, like not a lot of deals were made there and there were not a lot of minimum guarantees floating around. So I think we're in a transition period and figuring out what the streamers are going to eventually pay, are they going to continue to pay or, or or not at all? And you have to figure out what the new revenue model is, or do you keep making features and hope one day someone miraculously discovers you and says, here's your first look deal with bloody blah, you know, or like, I, you know, I just, I, I don't know. So at this moment, if you were to like force me to make a decision, I would say, yeah, it's going to go up on my own platform. Cause I, my first responsibility, you know, or my second, my first responsibility is to make a good movie that my community can enjoy. My second is to get my investors their money back. So I have, I have to go kind of with what I know. And right now I, I kind of know what I can make on Tello. And then I can adjust my budgets accordingly. Marion Gay was a little different. Marion Gay, we are planning and hoping to, to be lifted up this holiday season and go off of not on Tello to go somewhere. That's our hope. I mean, I really just want to talk about Christmas movies. I'm trying to stop myself from just like, let's just talk about the tropes, like small town girl. But yes, <laughs> I just love them so much every, every December. Why thrillers and Christmas movies? I think the obvious, I think there may be an obvious answer, but I think there's probably a non-obvious answer as well. But it sounds like um, these are the commercial genres that, uh, that easily can be targeted to an audience. But is there another reason? Do you have a, a desperate love for both these genres that we don't know about? No. In fact, I don't really like thrillers. I like thrillers. I don't like horror. So these are not horror movies. They are definitely thrillers. I think two, two, number one, when we did Season of Love, it was the first LGBTQ holiday rom-com ever released that had the leads were two gay people. We weren't a side character. It wasn't an ensemble. And that was in 2019. And, and everyone was clamoring for, you know, 
representation in the holiday rom-com genre because everyone loves them. And so people wanted to sit with their family and see something that represented them. So holiday rom-coms, I think it's partially because I wanted to make sure that the community always had something that reflected them and represented them. And the side benefit is we get amazing press. Our name recognition goes up. We get phenomenal press. Like, I'm not like, I Hate New Year's was in the New York Times. We had Vulture carried Christmas at the Ranch and NBCnews.com. Like, we just were, every time you turned around, we were in a list of major publications that was like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And I think thrillers, because number one, there's a, there's a community that really loves them and, and you know that you, can get, you know, interest. And number two, I I wanted to make a, like a thriller or have a franchise where like the lesbians didn't die. And there was like a, I just didn't think the community really had its own, like Jordan Peele kind, not that I'm saying I'm anywhere near Jordan Peele, but like there wasn't anything like that for, for our community that was like, like a, a movie franchise. You know, there's some great stuff that Netflix has, the hunting series, the hunting of Hill House and Bly Manor. Um, Mike Flanagan. Yes. Go on. That yeah. has some LGBTQ stuff in there as well, which is great. But I really wanted to do a movie franchise that, that always had a lesbian couple kind of as the heroes to a certain extent or a lesbian, lesbian characters. What was my question? I, you know, dang, it was there and then it was gone. Uh, <laughs> I'm just letting him suffer. I'm not even going to yeah. save you. Do you, have, do you have one, Liz? You could jump in with one. Is that a trope? Was it about tropey? I mean, I, I yeah. will say, <laughs> I will throw, Mary and Gay will have the first non-binary lead played by a non-binary character in a holiday rom-com. And I'm using the word holiday rom-com very specifically because there is a holiday movie that is not a classic tropey rom-com that does have a non-binary lead played by a non-binary actor, but ours will be the first holiday rom-com. It's fantastic. Which I'm very excited about. And there's no coming out. We just use the they, them pronoun throughout the movie. Right. Amazing. I can I can vamp about rom coms, Ulrich, but if well, you want to ask was, a question. I was gonna so I, my my question kinda reformed. It was more of comment really. That's why I think I stumbled <laughs> so much. It was because it seems like what like why would you go with anyone else? Like if you have your your Talo films oh. that you can find your audience, you know, they are there. They want your content because they this content doesn't exist wildly out there. It seems like you've kinda have a, a, a made system where you can actually get a return on your investment and you can, you know, you're 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 fueling the audience that you have so it's like it almost feels like you've you've got your audience you've got your solution you know where like so many other people like it's really hard to find where their audience is and like how to deliver for them so that's why it's not really a question it's more just no but i can but i can i can comment back on your comment because here's what here's what happens to you is you wonder if you're playing too small and it's almost like you get it in your head that you're trying to chase that story. You're trying to chase the, 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 the dream of my movie's going to be picked up and shown on this thing. Because when I'm in a, when I'm at, when I'm at a, a gathering with, you know, people who are my parents' friends or I'm at a social event with a bunch of straight people and they say, what do you do? And I say, I'm a filmmaker. And they say, what do you make? And I say, LGBTQ holiday rom-coms, or I just say rom-coms, holiday rom-coms, and they go, where can I see your stuff? And so sometimes it's, it, then I have to go into, oh, it's on my streaming platform, telefilms.com, which I know they've never heard of, so I have to explain that. But sometimes it would be really cool to just be like, I was picked up on Paramount+. Plus. 
I was picked up HBO Max. So there's there's an it, now I'm not saying that's the right thing. It's the optics, the optics of success, right? The optics of success can yeah. f with your head. Yeah, and you can take something that you know is good and and like Arik, you nailed it. You're like this is a no brainer to me. And then that little voice in your head starts going because I've had I've had unbelievable success with Season of Love, Un- indie success with the first movie out of the gate. I've paid my investors back their 120 percent and gone in to tier two waterfall and paying my creatives one payment when and it was released in December of 2019. Now that's incredible. That's a I'm really proud of that. I should be like, this is what I'm doing every single time. But then this little voice goes, Yeah, but don't you want to be on, you know, Hallmark? Don't you want to tell someone you got picked up on Lifetime? And so it gets in your gets in your head that like, are you aiming am I I don't say aiming too low because that sounds but like, should I aspire for that? And so it, it, it can really mess with you, this industry and, and that the, the view of success. And so, some people would look at me and go, you have made, I will have at the end of this year, as of right now, I'm about to go to, into production on my second scare B&B, August 4th. Send me good vibes, please. I will have done six movies in the last four years wow. as an indie producer. That I should be able to go, da, 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 <laughs> give me my cape. Give me my whatever award that is. But I think I'm constantly like, you know, talking about like, oh, but, you know, it, I didn't have a, the budget wasn't as big and I didn't have enough time to do this. And maybe if only I could get someone to recognize and maybe give me like a little bit. So that's, it, it's, huh. it's I, I don't know if that's ego. I don't know if that's, but yeah, you kind of go, I'm playing, am I playing too, too small? I want to weigh in about this because I completely understand. It's something we talk about, Rick and I talk about all the time, this desire to want to be chosen. I think it's a byproduct of being being a creative and being not indebted, but somewhat reliant on other people saying yes or no to us all the time. So it's like gets in our system that we want to be chosen, right? Even if logic, the logic of the situation it can tell you that you are successful, clearly very successful, you still have this kind of ingrained system of like, but this enough people didn't say yes to me. And anyway, I, I experience that daily. And I think all, I don't mean to speak for Auric, but we talk about it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you also talk about like having a sustainable career as a filmmaker and like this is what you you have and where I'm looking at what you're doing yeah. and that you're going into your next movie, you know, in, in next week or whatever. And so it's like, it's incredible that you are able to yeah. make six features in, in four years, you know, and I think you should be on a mountaintop, you know, having, you know, a huge parade, like, you know, right. whatever. <laughs> It's it's a it's a big deal. It's a huge deal. And but it's not I think that the other thing about it is like there's a there's a lot of people who can make a lot of movies in a short amount of time. We've we've seen that from many guests, but there's not a lot of people who can get a return on an investment on e- even one of the the multiple movies they've made in a short amount of time. So the fact that you're getting an ROI on all of them, if it's not always a hundred percent, but at least it's a certain percentage. Right. Like that's pretty incredible, you know? I, I, I totally agree. Yeah. But the, what, what would you do, like in order, like you're talking about like when to get, you know, picked up by HBO Max or 
Paramount Plus or whatever. It's like, what would you have to do to have that happen? Like, would you have to not like follow the ideals that you set for yourself with your film films? Like, would you have to change the way that you are? Like, you don't want to do that. Like, you are you, and it's beautiful. And like, you're just gonna keep on doing what you're doing. And they they may pick it up, they may not. But you know, fuck them. Like, you're you've already figured it out. Like, you you've already gotten something that they don't have. You yeah, know, or a lot of this, other people don't have. This is yeah. what I needed, everyone. Groupa, Groupa, <laughs> going into my next feature. Thank you so much. Thank you. I, yeah, I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. Yeah. We should move on to the last questions, I think, because it's such a like, we're in a sentimental zone. So let's get even more sentimental. What's the first film you ever made or first web series, first project you ever did? How do you feel about it now? So I'm going to, I'm going to give you a very sort of cheeky answer, but I can show it if ever needed. When I was 10 years old, no, maybe 11, I directed all of my cousins in our family's Christmas gathering. I have a huge family and I directed a Christmas carol. It was audience participation. All my cousins played the, all the characters and my uncle Kenny was Scrooge who was on stage, which was the area in the living room in front of the TV. And I worked really hard on it. And you can still watch it on VHS that we need to move over to a DVD. (laughs) That was the first thing I ever, ever directed that was put on camera in my entire life. And I'm very proud of it because it's hilarious because it's in all of our family who are now you know, I was, like I said, 11 and I'm, you know, 47 now. So it's like, you know, th- they're all grown and have kids. And so it's just really funny, funny to watch. So that was the first thing that I ever directed, produced and wrote probably as well. <laughs> I mean, you know, source material, but. <laughs> What's the best filmmaking advice you've ever received? I just did from you. <laughs> uh... That's the F them. You can do that. Like, you figured it out. That's the best filmmaking advice. Who cares? Be your fantastic, beautiful self and make your stuff and put it on your own platform and don't worry about anything else. And I'm not, I'm not kidding. Like, I just, like, you just, like, dropped the mic for me right there. That's the, the, I did have someone say, keep going. That's another good piece of advice. Keep going. Yeah, You've made Ulrich's week. I already know that. (laughs) What's the worst filmmaking advice you've ever received or witnessed or or dispensed what's what's bad advice to you that bad advice is bad advice is when filmmakers indie filmmakers get told if you can get a big star in your project investors will just give you all the money i have had multiple conversations with people who have said well i might be able to get so and so and then i've heard that if i can get like antonio banderas who my kids go to school with their kids or whatever it is that i'll be able to get a much bigger budget and i said well do you know investors and they were like no and i was like well they're not just gonna suddenly come out of the woodwork because you've heard you you have antonio banderas so i think a lot of filmmakers are told if you can get an A-list star, suddenly you'll have a huge budget and or you'll get investors. And I just... Yeah, well, cause unless you have investors already. <laughs> you have to have investors already. And then you go back to them and you go, hey, guess what? I got Antonio Banderas. Put a zero at the end of that check and we'll make a lot of money. <laughs> right. But you have to find your own investors. I feel like that's a, the thing that we like I keep on nailing down on the show is like, you have to do it. No one's doing it for you. No one, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you have a goal as a filmmaker? I would love to be on set four times a year. Wow. And I love it. Ambitious. Amazing. Yeah. If you could go back in time, what's the piece of advice you'd give yourself? 
I get it's that it's it's it would just be like have faith, have faith. It's you're gonna you're going the people that you watch in Star Trek are one day gonna be in your projects. Amazing. Last question: Is making movies hard? Yes. Because after I get off with you, I'm going to go on another three-hour call with my DP, and we're going to go, <laughs> we're going to shot list and go line by line of, of my movie. It, it, yeah, it's hard. Yeah. It amazes me how many people are able to do it each year, given how hard it is. We're all crazy. Crazy filmmakers. Don't care. <laughs> Just going to no. do it anyways. <laughs> how can people best support you? Tell everyone how to sign up for Tello and where to rent your films and everything. Yeah, so... Telofilms.com. We have an app on all the, the major stores and smart TVs and smartphones, or you can just go on a website. My social handle, my first name is spelled Kristen, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N. Kristen Tello is, that's all the handles. And then my production company is called A Baker Production, and that's where I am on Facebook. So yeah, and you can, you can see all the, all the movies that I've done and even the shorts and the really bad web series from 10 years ago on Tello. It's, they're still up in the original content section. Ulrich, what do you remember about our conversation with Kristen? I remember that she was so positive and so wonderful and had such a, a focused mission as a filmmaker, you know, to tell these LGBTQ stories, especially specifically lesbian stories, you know, and the fact that she was like excited and wanted to make lesbian Christmas movies because like they didn't exist. Yeah. And that, that was something that she wanted to create for herself and for, you know, people like her. I thought that was really beautiful and an amazing thing. And like, like the fact that she was able to do that and then also start her own streaming service in order for people to see these kinds of movies better and then turn that into something that actually is like profitable for her yeah is is insane you know it's really really amazing like the fact that like this this 9 10 year journey she had has led to her being a self-sustainable filmmaker you know or self-sustaining filmmaker and that she's basically doing it all you know like she's making her movies she's distributing them herself she knows like she she hopes to make money with like the traditional routes of distribution she's made some that way but she really knows she can always turn to her streaming service to actually get like a certain amount recouped if if not in some cases all and, and more you know so i mean i feel like yeah like i told her on the show like she's living the dream man <laughs> she's got to figure it all out you i know? remember that moment she was so touched like i know people don't see the video but like her face was just like glowing and i think you really she said so but i think you really didn't make her day that's what i remember about the conversation is like her being flattered by us being so impressed by her and also i think it's interesting i always you know I, if you listen to the show at all, you know, I'm like a massive like Hallmark, ABC family, whatever Christmas movie fanatic. I just love those things. And I didn't even really know that there was a possibility to make them independently. But it makes perfect sense because there's such demand and they're made so cheaply. Why couldn't you? Why Why do you have to be reliant on Hallmark or ABC or, or whatever? And I like that she has had the gumption to see that. And it's just like when you talk to someone like this who makes thrillers and holiday films, you're like, oh, those are the commercial genres. Ooh. You know, it's like obviously horror we talk about all the time, but like right behind horror, I think it are these holiday movies and these thrillers. And oh, yeah. 
it's just an interesting like that in of itself is a great takeaway from the show is a really smart creator is pointing herself towards that direction. Maybe a lot of us should go in that direction, too. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the family genre is super popular, you know, family and, and holiday movies. It's like, yeah, it's totally a big thing. But it's, and it's fun that she's like do, filling a void in that genre, you know, for an audience that wants those movies, you know. Yeah. So it's, that's that's really, really cool. Yeah, she's so hard on herself, man. <laughs> like, you remember her talking about like, yeah, I go to parties and people don't know anything about what I do. And I talk about the movies I make and they're like, never heard of them and blah, blah, blah. And I, yeah. Oh, I'd like, it would be nice to say that it's on HBO Max or on Netflix or something someone's heard of. And I'm like, you're making your money back. You're living off your movies. You don't have to have another job. Like, yeah. like what? Come on. Let's have some celebration here. This is huge. Like most filmmakers don't have that, you know, like you've really, she really did figure something out. So uh, I'm glad that she gave her at least herself that moment to be like proud of herself and to accept that she was a success because she is, you know. Well, it sounds like it's time for another round of the game. Wait, wait. I, I know you have COVID, but you did it really well last time. Do you want to try to say it? The game. Yeah, it's really much better what you're doing. <laughs> like, I sound like a Muppet and you sound like an actual announcer. <laughs> so our producer, Eric Toms, has presented a challenge for Ulrich. And we do this weekly. And he sets up, you know, like an indie film quagmire and today Ulrich gets to gets to tackle it so Eric says you're on day 17 of 18 of shooting a revenge action film you're shooting the climactic fight scene on the rooftop of a parking complex that overlooks the city the scene will take all night to shoot with your two leads and the four stunt people the fight has been choreographed for weeks but the choreographer could not be on set however you have a stunt coordinator as well as an armor because the scene involves a big shootout. The following day, you're filming the touching end at Golden Hour. You're just about to roll cameras when the police show up and tell you there's a citywide ordinance that does not allow outdoor noise past 8 p.m., so you will not be allowed to fire off squibs. You have your talent for the next 12 hours, and you have to fight a fight scene without making noise. What do you do, director? What do you do? All right, all right, what do you do? Well... It's no noise, huh? Jeez. Like, just no squibs or like, no, like, is like making a movie too much noise? Like, I guess that's the question. A little vague. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead. I'm gonna take the license to say that the squibs are out, but you should be able to talk at normal volume. Normal, normal volume. Okay. I mean, wouldn't that be crazy if there was a citywide, what are we, like Gotham? Like, someone's gonna be like, you can't talk at all after 8 p.m. That seems Well, I don't, so I don't know. Making a movie is loud, right? Like, you know, yeah. people are shouting and banging crap or whatever, you know? So, like, I mean, I feel like... People should be able to go outside and talk, you know? And yeah, so I think yeah, that yeah, yeah. should be allowed. Okay, so let's just say there's no squibs and I've got to shoot a scene in, you know, silence. I wonder why he mentioned I don't have a stunt coordinator. Because I guess I am the stunt coordinator or the stunt coordinator couldn't make it or something? No, you have a stunt coordinator, but you don't have a choreographer. The choreographer could not be on set is what he said. Oh, the choreographer canceled last second? Just could never be on set. I'm guessing that the choreographer was part of prep. And so everyone knows their Oh, okay. Okay. 
cool. Oh, well, yeah. So basically, that's easy. You just don't do the squibs and be sad and cry and then just, you know, mime it and then just, you know, do it in post. It sucks. It really sucks. Yeah. But yeah, shoot, shooting a whole fight scene silently is not a problem. You just tell your actors to, to cool their jets because they always want to scream all the time. Oh my god! Like I had my uh, my stunt double wouldn't stop screaming during all the the, the fight sequences, and I'm like, bro, broheem, like we're you're not gonna be in the movie. Like you're the double, <laughs> you know. Like you're like Ed, we need to take your screams out and put Ed's screams in. But he just wouldn't. He just got into it too much, which was great because like it worked. Like it looked real. It, I mean, it looked like it should, but it's just like we basically had to scrap all of that audio because like we couldn't use any time that he would make noise you know so yeah i feel like this doesn't really it doesn't really change much except you just take you just have to take the squibs away and you know because squibs are fun and they're great and they're amazing they do take a lot of time so like if you do take the squibs off the off the table you probably actually save yourself a lot of time and you probably be able to focus more on the actual you know the different pieces of the of the choreography and just like getting each shot done right and perfect and moving on to the next one and then just like probably spending a little bit more time or maybe even going back to redo something you know if you get done early because like yeah if you take off i don't know how many squibs shots we had but if you took off like five squib shots like that's probably four hours saved right there at least maybe three i don't know because squibs squibs always go wrong and whatever you know so yeah that's what i would do it seems too easy well i don't know i i think that's one answer i mean i've never done a fight scene i've done dance scenes which i think are somewhat similar but not this obviously not the same, but I've dealt with choreographers and I've done some stunts. I guess the two other options that come to my mind are move it inside, you know, then you can do everything you want, but you're just not outside on the rooftops. I guess rooftops are very exciting, but maybe there's a world. You still can't do the squibs though, right? You can. It's an outdoor noise ordinance. So. Oh. You could do indoor noise. And I think the other thing is, what if you just remove the guns? What if it's a fight sequence that's all physical fighting, but you just take the guns out of out of the out of play and i know that yeah. that creates a lot of permutations of 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 like <laughs> chaos right it's like you're gonna have to adjust the choreography like everyone is prepared for one thing you're gonna lean heavily on your stunt coordinator because your choreographer is not there like there's a lot of issues but then i mean i remember seeing oh my gosh i should pull it out right now it's gareth edwards it's the oh my god do you know this movie the raid Gareth Edwards. The oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or just like, I think there's, it's very last minute to change choreography, but I just think there's a lot of respect for seeing beautiful stunt choreography, right? Versus, yeah. there's very, there's a lot of like incentive to use guns and squibs and whatever it is, prop guns. But if there's a world where you can make the fight choreography look really realistic, that might get garner more attention than leaning on a physical prop like a gun for the violence yeah. in the film. So I don't know. I don't know which one I would land on, but I just wanted to throw in some alternates into the conversation. Then you could have that cool scene, you know, that every action movie has where like the two bad guy, good guy come together and they both have guns and 
and then they both toss the golden sign on the ground. <laughs> say, we don't need our guns. We're just going to fight hand to hand. Right. <laughs> Just have them do that. Because, like, I think that that was my first question to you. It would be like, well, you know, if you, if you have them get rid of the guns, like, well, how, how do you answer that in story? And it's like, well, in an action movie, that's always an answer. You just have them <laughs> be so macho that they don't want to use their guns and they want to fight it out. Yeah. Fist to fist in the dirt. To be fair, the, the raid, I've never seen the raid. The raid might have, like, millions of guns. But I just remembered, like, they just talked about how fantastic the fighting was. Like, that was one of the, like, crowning achievements of the film and and that is oh, an yeah. art right like and it's an art that is very visual visually dynamic so maybe there's a world to focus on that instead i think think the raid has guns and lots of fighting too mm-hmm. okay there lots we go. of elbows i i'm pretty sure because i think i think it's a lot a very muay thai based the fighting for that one but i'm not i'm not interested. actually i haven't seen it either i tried watching it and it was like the, the beginning of the movie was so dark and heavy beth's like turn it off turn it off <laughs> I was like, oh, really? We haven't even seen the first action sequence. I was like, eh, okay, well, I guess I'll watch it by myself someday. And that was like, you know, eight years ago. <laughs> still haven't seen it yet. Anyways, yeah. No, but that, interesting. I mean, I feel like the going inside is another solution too. But like, yeah, because you have to just weigh like what's more important. It's like, is, is it being on the rooftop at night more important? Or is the squibs more important, you know? Yeah. But yeah. I feel like the squibs is like, they're so cool. But it's like, they're also, I guess they could be cool inside too. I mean, squibs are cool anywhere. So, I mean, it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter taking them inside or outside. It's just like, what, what feels more right to you as the filmmaker? Yeah. I guess it kind of would depend on the story in the end. Yeah. But no, but I think doing a, a silent, a fight scene silently or as quietly as possible isn't like the worst thing in the world. You know, because you gotta, you're supposed to be focusing on it anyways. And it's all about the movements and the timing and everything, you know. And I mean, the expressions are important and like the emotion is important. So obviously, vocals come into that. But like, you know, you can definitely have your actors just act, you know, that's what they are there to do. But I I do feel for that stunt double you worked with because you have to create the intensity from somewhere and maybe that they just need it from a guttural place. And that's why they're screaming. I was thinking like, we filmed two sex scenes, but in one sex scene in Speed of Life, one of the actors, right before we filmed the sex scene, he went and he put like, what, it, what do you call them? Like chin up, like a chin up bar. What, uh-huh. I don't know he like put a bar in the doorway and just started doing like chin ups really fast right before we shot because he needed to get to this like intense place. And I think when you're there, it's hard to control what your automatic reactions are going to be in that situation. I mean, for That's a sex true. scene, you should always be in control. But I think if you're in a physical altercation in your stunt double, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't trust everyone to be silent is what I'm saying. I wouldn't trust yeah, everyone. That's true. <laughs> I just think to they're going to get silent. us all in trouble. They're, so yeah, it might, is my lack of trust for other people is, is what I'm acknowledging. Yeah. 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 So I'm in the middle of promoting the release of the alternate. Like we've got a 10 days left before the movie comes out. They haven't given me my pre-order link yet, which I'm annoyed about. They said oh. it comes around a week out from when the movie comes or is released. So I'm waiting on that. But what should I be doing? Like, like besides trying to drum up more reviews and, you know, like whatever, and working with my PR team, like what should I be doing to like get the word out on the movie? 
Well, yeah, that pre-sales link is really, really important. What I haven't seen, and I haven't really been, been digging, like I, I've basically been a passive observer of your promotional activity, oh. but I haven't seen your voice as part of it at all. Like uh, I've seen things that say the alternate or I see you, but I'm not hearing you and like your personality come out and say, this really means oh. a lot to me. Like I spent X amount of years making this movie. Every, you know, if you were to just share this trailer, that would make my year, like whatever it is, genuine enthusiasm mm. that comes with a little bit of vulnerability because you're asking other people from you, not from the film, not from an entity. I lean on that in terms of promotion because I think like, look, here's my theory. People want to be heroes. So if you give them a small task that will genuinely be heroic for you, they'll do it. So if you wanted, as soon as you have that pre-sales link, I would activate your forces and your forces being you. I would really start talking from the heart, sending emails and going on social media, saying how just one pre-sale or one share of the link is the best give you, gift that anyone could ever give you, you know, just to really wow. stick your neck out a little bit. Nice. Okay. Good. Good advice. Yeah. Just to really put it on. Because I have been doing that a little bit on on you know, Facebook, just like saying like really excited about the trailer and things like that. But I'm not like, you know, not coming. Yeah. Not like making big asks or anything necessarily. Or, but I think the pre-sales you know. link is the time. Like I wouldn't do the big ask until the big ask is money, right? The big ask is because, right. and I think everyone knows this, but like the more pre, you know, iTunes still has human curation. And by that, so when you go on Apple TV or iTunes, there's these carousels of these are new and notable indies or these are movies you should pay attention to and actual humans at Apple pick those movies, right? It's not like Amazon where it's this automated process. And so what you do is you try to do as many pre-sales as possible to get the attention of the humans who are like, what is this? The alternate? Oh, this... Well, people really want to see this. I'm going to take a second look at it and choose whether to promote it additionally on our platform. Oh, interesting. So that's why you're doing it. You're doing it to get garner the attention of the gatekeepers. It's not for money, though, of course, that's fantastic. It's for rankings and the corporate promotion from these platforms. So if you Ooh. get enough pre-orders, you, you really do get their attention. And so that's the ask, I think, is the pre-sales ask. How many pre-orders do you think? think you need to get in order for them to give a shit about you your movie you or know you it's not? it's both less than you think and more than you think like i only know the numbers back in in 2016 this was like a game the pre-sales game was like the pre-sales game was like a strategy it was like that's what indie films did and the oh. quota was like at least like 800 pre-sales. And I think oh, wow. I think now it's less because no one people don't indie filmmakers don't really play this game anymore because transactional VOD is not that important, but I think every window counts. So it's a you need a couple hundred at the very least. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. A couple hundred. I think I could probably do that yeah. maybe. Yeah. I think I think so. Right, listeners, we could do a yeah. couple hundred. Yeah, let's do it. Let's make it happen. Let's get a couple hundred pre-sales, you know? But I mean, they're listening to this after pre-sales. So like, oh, <laughs> you're right. really just putting this out into the ether, hoping Darn. that they're hearing yeah. it right now. Well, I'm also going to, uh, you know, as soon as I have that pre-order link, co-opt the current episode and re-edit it and, cool. and, and put that link at the top yeah. or in the middle, you know, of the thing. Just sort of slip it in there, like right 
right after our um, ad for uh, Casting Networks. I, I don't forget you, Casting Networks. I know who you are. I love you. Sorry. <laughs> so that's my plan. But cool. Yeah. So that, that seems like a good a good thing to focus on is to really just get that ask and then to, to continue, you know, just sharing the link once the movie's out, right? And just trying to get people to, to buy it, you know, and check it out and stuff. Yeah. That's uh, that's all yeah. you do. I mean, you're doing all the other good things. You're working with publicists. You're doing social media. You have a film team. You have an infrastructure. I think what's missing is just you and your personality. That's all. Yeah. Well, I would have been way more vocal on social media this week if I wasn't dying <laughs> from COVID. But I, excuses, I pretty much excuses, didn't, Ulrich. <laughs> pretty much didn't do anything this week because I just felt like so cruddy. Oh. But yeah, and also there, you know, there was just there wasn't a lot new that happened anyway. Just besides the, all the views on the trailer. But I mean, I already po- posted that on Sunday. The link that has the the crazy amount of views. So yay! Yeah, I don't really feel like need to post it again necessarily. I don't know. Why I'll, not? I'll post something. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I'm just not. See, I'm not a social media person. I just don't. I'm not like uh, really all about about it but i probably should be well but okay so i know you aren't and i hear this a lot but like what else do you have at your disposal it's not like you're best friends with the head of IndieWire right now and you have a publicist who's gonna control those kind of relationships the things you have at your disposal are live events or social media you have covid i'm not gonna encourage you to have a live event right now and also it's expensive like if you were to post like a party or screening or premiere or whatever it is so then what do you have you could do a virtual event, you know, but that still involves yeah. social media or email marketing. So like it is it is the democratic promotional resource that we have. But I get it. And if you don't do anything at all until your film is released, you're going to be OK. You're going to be OK. Yeah, I'll do stuff. I just got to figure out what that is. But yeah, I feel like right now I need to lie down. But yeah, thanks, Liz. I really appreciate the advice. Sure. You can always send us a question, comment, or suggestion to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. Or if you really like the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes. And finally, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at MMIH Podcast and YouTube at Making Movies is Hard Podcast. Make sure to check out the International Screenwriters Association, the ISA. They're an organization designed to connect writers with filmmakers through a number of programs they offer, including publishing your logline to a network of industry professionals, consultation courses, contests, and of course, their 20, top 25 writers list, which features some of their very best writers. So head over to www.networkisa.org to sign up for free today. Thanks so much to Kristen Baker for coming on the show. You're fantastic. Shooting a movie right now, I think still incredible, you know, with feature like 12 or something like that. <laughs> and to uh, Kelia Abrigo from Oscar Hamilton for setting up this interview. I don't think we've ever worked with Kelia before, and I don't know how they found us. They did, and uh, we thank you greatly because uh, they wrote a really wonderful email about Kristen and really sold us on her. And so we're really glad that she was able to come on the show. Thanks to our editor, Jeff Freimuth, for doing the editing. And thanks to our producer, Eric Toms, for being awesome. And thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. We're here with, uh, you write and direct, right? You do both? Yeah. Cool. We're here with and Brad, produce. Director. Ah!
too, Rick. Okay, I, I knew that. I'm an indie filmmaker. I'm also head of transportation. Come on. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a PA sometimes. Don't forget to check out Jambox.io, which is a new royalty-free music and sound effects company with an emphasis on high-quality cinematic cues. Their composers have worked on soundtracks for Hollywood-level films, working with directors like Michael Bay and Martin Scorsese, and they even offer customized plans to fit your needs, which is pretty awesome. Use our code MMIH to sign up for a 20% discount today.